knowing that she can grow out of it and that we can try reintroducing it. I talked to the allergist about it and what age, and he said, you know, you can start now at six months. You can start reintroducing, see how it goes. If you see a reaction, they kind of pull back. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast. Today I'm interviewing a mom named Meg. Her name is Megan Mason. She's outside of Chicago. She's a first time mom with a daughter, Camila, who's had a wide variety of food allergies, some intolerance stuff happening, but Meg has just recently completed a milk or a dairy ladder. Now, some of you guys might be familiar with a milk ladder or a dairy ladder, but basically her daughter is intolerant to dairy products. So starting at seven weeks of age, she's going to tell us her story, but she had to start cutting dairy and soy out of her breast milk because it was causing gut problems and stool problems for her baby at seven weeks of age. Now, the baby in the meantime developed some other food allergies. There's food allergy in the family. But apart from that, she was never actually diagnosed with a milk allergy. So she had cow's milk protein intolerance. And so Meg did some research and she started looking into this idea of using a dairy ladder or a milk ladder to slowly reintroduce milk foods into Mila's diet. And then mom, who's still breastfeeding, stays one step behind and she's start to slowly reintroduce those foods as well, kind of in an attempt to keep her breast milk clean. So Meg, again, she's a mom located outside of Chicago. She's self-educated, but I love having the stories of real life parents who are going through some of the same stuff that you guys might be. And I hear from my audience all the time that many of you are advised to remove or stay away from dairy and soy so that it doesn't go through your breast milk and possibly be problematic for your baby. But sometimes parents think, well, gosh, this is a lifelong thing. My baby's never going to be able to eat dairy foods. And so in Meg's case, because her, her daughter did not have a severe milk allergy, instead she had an intolerance, she was cleared to start this milk ladder to then be reintroducing food. So she's going to tell you guys her story. I do just want to say at the outset here, though, the milk ladder can only be used by infants and children who have a mild to moderate cow's milk allergy. This is what we call a non-IgE mediated milk allergy. This is not suitable for babies who have a milk allergy that results in severe or immediate type allergic reactions. So it's not for those that have an IgE mediated milk allergy. And Meg will share she did the same thing, but it's recommended you need to talk to your own pediatrician who may in turn refer you to an allergist. You may be working with a a pediatric dietitian to help you through this. Meg mentions that it was actually her lactation consultant who advised her to talk to her pediatrician because what she was seeing in the stool, even as early as seven weeks of age, was concerning. So I'm going to let Meg tell her story about the milk ladder. All of the resources that she's going to mention in the interview, I will link up for you in the show notes for this episode. So if you go to blwpodcast.com slash 34, that's where you can find the resources that Meg's going to mention. The milk ladder that she used, it's a a British one. A lot of families use that. There's some recipes in it because at the beginning of the milk ladder, you start with baked foods that have the dairy product baked into it, which is easier to tolerate it. 
the recipes that were included had added sugar. And so Meg was doing baby led weaning. She'd taken a number of my courses and workshops and she's like, wait a minute, I, I want my baby to have milk, but I, in these baked goods, but I I'd prefer if it didn't have added sugar. So Meg has actually made a free download for you guys that has recipes you can use for baby led weaning. If you're doing the dairy ladder, again, under the guidance of your pediatrician, knowing that it's safe to start reintroducing these foods, she made some recipes that don't have added sugar. And I'll be linking to that at the show notes. Again, that's blwpodcast.com slash 34. So with no further ado, here's Meg Mason, mom of Camila, talking about how she used a milk ladder to reintroduce dairy foods for her daughter. All right. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being here today. I am really excited to hear how things are going because I touched base with you a while ago when you were in the process of the milk ladder and now you guys are done. Is that correct? Yes, that is. And hi, thank you for having me. And you guys, Meg's daughter, Camila, but she also calls her Mila. So do you want me to call her Mila or Camila? What do you prefer? Um, You can just do Mila. It's easier. Okay. So Mila is almost one, but Mila now has a number of diagnosed food allergies, which Meg will tell us about later. So she's almost 12 months of age, almost one. But Meg, I was wondering, can you take us back to right after your daughter was born? What was your first indication in those first few weeks of life that she might be having some issues with either allergies or digestion? Take us back there. Yeah. um, So when she was first born, I mean, she was pretty fussy as a newborn baby and you never know what's going on with that. And kind of the weeks went on, we noticed she still, she was just very fussy. She didn't sleep well, um, crying a lot, wanting to be held. And then it started, we noticed some changes in her bowel movements right around seven weeks old. She was exclusively breastfed and they turned from like the yellow stool that most breastfed babies have to like a green, a really bright green. And then the next day it changed to mucousy green and the following day there was blood in the stool. And we saw blood and mucus in the stool, I would say like three different times. And I sent photos of that to our pediatrician um, and we talked to a GI specialist and some other doctors to see what was going on between them and also from, I talked to a lactation consultant and all three of those, the GI doctor, the pediatrician and the lactation consultant at that time all advised that we cut, I cut out dairy and soy from my diet so that um, to see if it would make a change in Camila while she was nursing in her stool in her demeanor at the time. And so did that suggestion from your medical team, which was to cut out dairy and cut out soy from your diet, so essentially that you weren't, I hate to use the word contaminating, but tainting your breast milk with those proteins that might be potentially problematic, did that help alleviate those symptoms of blood and mucus in the stool? It did. It took quite a while. Um, they warned me, especially, I talked a lot with a lactation consultant. We were in touch quite often, and she warned me, it can be a slow process. Like sometimes it would be like a week and I wouldn't see much change. Or after the first few weeks, I saw blood in the stool again. And I was like, what's going on here? And she, you know, just stick with it. You've got to stick with it. So I did. And they say it can take like eight weeks for it to be completely, not just out of my system, but out of my system to go through her. And then also to kind of clear out of her gut and to kind of for her gut to heal. So I would say around eight to 10 weeks of me not eating anything with any form of dairy or soy, we finally started to see that improvement. And she was such a happier baby. She wasn't crying as much. We, her stools looked 
back to the normal yellow breastfed baby stool. Um, so yeah, it definitely made a difference. So seven weeks, you see blood and mucus in the stool. You trial the dairy and soy removal. The next few weeks are a little rocky. It takes about eight weeks, you say. So then it sounds like you're kind of smooth sailing up until about the six-month mark. And so people who listen to this podcast are generally aware, but it's at around six months of age when we start Solid Foods for Babies. Take us back there. What, how were you feeling at the six-month mark? Like, were you dreading having to start Solid Foods? Were you excited about it? What was it like when Mila was six months of age? Um, I think a little bit of both. Um, I was definitely excited, you know, to try something new with her, but also dreading just, you know, you're scared of the choking and the gagging and then trying to find foods that would give her, I would say like the health benefits that sometimes she might be lacking if she's not going to have the dairy and nervous about trying any type of food allergen. Just, I think just like all moms, you know, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of nervous. Um, and I took your class. I can't remember the name. Do you remember the name? I think the self-feeding baby is the course you are. Yes. Yes. That's it. The self-feeding baby course. And oh my gosh, that definitely helped so much because that kind of go, went through everything between, you know, the, what to do for gagging and choking and foods and how to serve them. And it just helped me feel much more prepared for introducing solids to her in general at six months. And I should add that Mila is Meg's first child. So she's a new mom going through all of this. And I wanted to ask, did you have any diagnosis of food allergy or any testing done prior to six months of age? Or were you just working off like the suspicion there's something going on with dairy and soy and that's why I'm avoiding it? We had not had any testing done at that point. Um, and I did want to have testing done before we introduce other um, allergenic foods because I was nervous. My husband also is allergic to nuts. So I really pushed for some testing on different types of nuts. And then also just, I wanted all the allergens, but that wasn't necessary. I found out. And did you do that before? Like, did you have the testing for nuts, for example, because your husband is allergic? So it's not inevitable that your baby would have nut allergy. However, there's a higher risk if the first degree relative like the dad has it. Did you do that testing before you trialed those foods or foods first and then testing later? I did. I wanted to. So I contacted our pediatrician about the nut allergies and um, she recommended that we see an allergist before feeding those foods if it was something that I was worried about. Now they said, you know, it's not really super common if it's just a parent, like you're the dad that has this nut allergy to be passed on to a sibling, but it would be more common, you know, if she had those other symptoms like eczema or she had a sibling who had that allergen, but I still felt more comfortable speaking to an allergist first. So we set up an appointment with the allergist and we met with him and I kind of talked about, you know, the dairy, the soy, my um, concern with nuts. At the time, we had introduced egg, and I noticed her stool was a little runny there, so I talked to him about that. So I did do some of the allergens before meeting with an allergist um, or having any testing done. I think egg was the only one that I actually introduced before that. No, I had done wheat also. So we had done egg and wheat, um, but the ones that I was extra nervous about because of our personal reasons, I didn't serve until I had the testing done. And then can you talk a little bit about the testing? What did you do? A blood test? Did you do skin scratch testing? What did that Yeah, like? we did the skin scratch testing is what the allergist did. And you mentioned you would ask, a lot of parents do this. They ask like, well, I'm here, I'm here at the allergist, like just give me every single test. And the allergists generally tend to say no. And they're pretty specific about which ones they'll be testing for. Uh, did they give you that feedback? Like you don't need 
all these allergens to be tested, just a few of them? Yes. Um, he kind of laughed and pretty much, I think every single, like you said, every single new parent that is worried about that, um, asks for all the, all the allergens to be tested. And he kind of went in, you know, to an explanation as to why that's not a great idea because when you're testing like the skin test, especially on babies so young, they say there are so many false positives that it could be holding you back from feeding a food where that baby isn't even allergic to it in the first place. So we decided with his um, guidance, he suggested just doing the eggs since we had seen like the runny stool, um, all types of nuts. And then he actually didn't do a skin test for dairy or soy after seeing the photo of her stool and hearing kind of the breast milk and how that changed it. He explained the difference between a dairy or soy allergy versus cow's milk protein intolerance. So what Mila had shown symptoms of at that time was the intolerance, which if she were to eat that, typically um, the reaction isn't going to be like an actual allergy reaction. And that's an important differentiation because a lot of parents, unfortunately, will hear or use the terms intolerance and allergy interchangeably, and they're very remarkably different things, right? And intolerance, think about like if you had lactose intolerance and you drink milk, there's there's gas and bloating, it's discomfort, but you're not going to die from it. If you were truly allergic to the protein in milk and you had an anaphylactic reaction, that's potentially fatal. So I think sometimes parents say, well, my baby's allergic to milk. And I always write back, okay, do you have a, a true diagnosis? Not that I don't believe you, but in many cases, what they're describing is intolerance over allergy. So we're going to talk mostly in this episode about the dairy ladder. But before we do that, could you just give me a real brief now, like that meal is almost one, just tell us exactly which foods she has been diagnosed as being allergic to, and then we'll get into the dairy ladder stuff. Yeah. So the skin test showed that she was allergic to peanuts, cashews, and pistachios. Um, and then we also fed her quinoa flakes and we noticed she had a reaction around her mouth. So strangely enough, she's also allergic to quinoa. Now we haven't gone into the allergist because that happened while we were here um, quarantined at home. So we haven't been in to test the quinoa. So we're not sure if it's more of like a skin reaction or like an actual allergy, but he said to hold off on that until we can get tested. So those are the things that as of right now are allergies. And so at the time of recording, it's the middle of COVID-19. Everyone's in coronavirus quarantine. Meg and I, we actually did a live interview together too. I think it was the day that you had tried quinoa. So that's an unusual food. It's not a big eight allergenic food, meaning one of the eight foods that causes 90% of food allergy, but it is a high protein food. There's the potential to be allergic to it. And so the guidance right now is if you suspect an allergy, hold off on eating that feeding that food until you can go in and be tested. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the dairy ladder. Can you just tell us how you got turned on to this idea, a little bit about how it works, and then what your experience has been using the dairy ladder for the reintroduction of milk foods because Mila has an intolerance as opposed to a severe milk protein allergy? Right. So um, I joined a group of other moms who breastfeed and also their children have the Cosmo protein intolerance. So they have a ton of suggestions on how to reintroduce dairy. And I should say the pediatrician and the allergist, the allergist especially was, how should I say, very, what's the word I'm looking for? He was very sure that she would grow out of this Cosmo protein intolerance. So he said, babies who have the intolerance, it's not an allergy, you know, 
she could grow out of it. Typically they grow out of it before the age of one, but it can take longer for other babies. So knowing that she can grow out of it and that we can try reintroducing it. I talked to the allergist about it and what age. And he said, you know, you can start now at six months, you can start reintroducing, see how it goes. If you see a reaction, they kind of pull back. So we talked about that. We talked about how to do it and how to build it up. Um, there are so many different dairy ladders out there. A lot of them are similar. Um, and that would be because you're kind of building up the protein as you go through the ladder. So you want to start off with the smallest amount of protein to for the baby to ingest and then kind of work your way up the ladder. I went with the UK. It's the Royal Berkshire ladder. And I will go ahead and link to that in the show notes for this episode for parents that want to check out. That's also the milk ladder that most of the parents that I work with have used and that a lot of pediatric dietitians recommend. If you want to find the link to that, go to the show notes for this episode, which will be blwpodcast.com slash 34. So you're using the British one. Did your GI doc or pediatric dietitian, did they recommend that one? Or was it kind of like you just stumbled upon this because of the group of moms of food allergy children that you were talking with? Um, it was, I kind of just did my own research with that. They weren't really, um, they didn't like hand me anything and said like, here, you should, you know, follow this ladder, this one. I asked about it. They just kind of said, you know, you want to try a little bit at first and work your way up. But I wanted something more specific to follow. Um, and this one seemed to have good research and you know, kind of go over the exact amount of each food to work your way up. So I, I found that I like this one personally to work and with. And they are all, for the most part, fairly similar. You start with, well, why don't you tell us what you started with on step one for the reintroduction of dairy foods? Yeah. So step one, um, step one is a cookie or biscuit, they call it. Um, and it has like milk powder. And they have recipes, this particular ladder that we're going to link to. And she's talking about, I love this one because at the end of it has well, it's so funny because it's so British. It's in like ounces and grams. And like America's like, I don't know how to do this. But there is a conversion there for teaspoons and cups, et cetera. And it tells you how to make these little biscuits that starting at six months of age is safe for your baby to eat. If you're doing baby led weaning or even if you're doing traditional spoon feeding, I think parents wait a little bit longer. But you actually baked this. Is that correct for step one? Yeah, we actually, so step one, I actually, um, I skipped step one, if I'm being <laughs> honest here. So we just, I did some other research and some other ladders and none of them use like just the milk powder. And I felt like her reaction while nursing, like she didn't have hives or any of those things. So I felt like I could start off with the muffins, um, which is still just baked in dairy, um, very, very low on the ladder. So we started with those instead of the milk powder. And the notion there is that when you start at the bottom of the ladder, you're starting with foods that have milk ingredients baked in them. It's usually smaller amounts, easier to tolerate. And then you're working your way up to more challenging dairy foods. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah. Yeah. So the first steps, it's the milk baked in. So like it's, you know, it's not the protein is kind of, I, I don't know, dissolved a little bit and it's mixed in with all these other ingredients and the muffins. And then you are working your way up and you, you know, you start with that baked in and then you go to a pancake, which isn't baked in at that same temperature. So the pancake is on top, you know, it's heated. So it's still kind of diluted. Um, and then you move on to actually like cheese, which is obviously a different form of that milk protein, a different form of dairy. And um, so cheese, then you go up to yogurt, and then you go on to soft cheeses, and it goes all the way up um, until you get to just straight cow's milk. And you don't introduce 
straight cow's milk as a fluid beverage in place of breast milk or formula until the baby is one. And a lot of parents hear that recommendation, but they don't realize it's perfectly safe for your baby. You actually, especially if you don't have cow's milk protein allergy, you do want to be introducing the protein from cow's milk to help prevent food allergy down the road early and often with babies who don't have milk allergy, but you just don't substitute fluid cow's milk in place of breast milk or formula until one. Now, Meg, could you talk a little bit about how how you are one rung behind the baby? Because you're still breastfeeding at this point. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So um, they recommend that you stay one step down below the baby on the ladder um, because if she were to show a reaction, like let's say Camila's on step three, which is a pancake and she reacts, you know, I notice her stool's runny and she's just, um, maybe there's blood and mucus there. Maybe she has a rash. Then if I were already on that same step with her, then she couldn't drink my breast milk. So I wouldn't be able to nurse her. Now I could always give her, you know, milk if I have some stored up, but she couldn't nurse on me right now because I'm on that same step and she's not, um, her body's not tolerating it, then that wouldn't be ideal. So that ideally you want to say, if you're still breastfeeding, you want to say one step behind the baby, uh, you want to say at the step that they've already passed so that you know that your milk is basically safe for them to ingest at that time. So then how long did the whole process take and where are you with the milk ladder now? So it took, I mean, it took a few months for us to work our way all the way up. At the time when I started it, it was suggested that you do three days on that step and then three days off of that step to watch for your reaction. So basically a whole week on each step. And now I've read that it's kind of suggested even longer that you do a whole week of the baby eating that food and then three days off. To, so basically 10 whole days of watching that baby's reaction. Like I said, we did three days on, three days off. We didn't notice any type of reaction until we got to basically the very top of the ladder that we could be at. We have not given her cow's milk um, just as a liquid yet because she's not one. But at the top right below that is softer cheeses. So she's had ricotta um, and then below that is yogurt. She's had yogurt. And we noticed kind of at those, if she eats a lot of those dairy products that have more of the protein, and then if she eats it often and a lot, we notice she gets a little constipated, a little fussier, possibly. I don't know. It's hard to tell when a baby's fussy. So we feel like we've passed the ladder, but we just don't give her those foods in like an excessive amount. So I, m- I remember when we first were chatting, I think you hadn't had cheese in like nine months. So I was curious, how are you doing? Have you been able to reintroduce those foods and are you still breastfeeding? And is your goal to continue breastfeeding past one? Yeah. So I wish I could say that I have had cheese. I still have not. Um, Is that because of the latter or? Well, they recommend if you've stopped dairy for that long to kind of start the latter yourself. Well, also because I had to start below her, I guess. Um, So I noticed my very first step was a muffin. um, And I thought, oh, I'm going to make, you know, any type of muffin with dairy baked in. So I made a muffin that had sour cream baked in, which is high up on the ladder. Um, I didn't realize it needed to be just milk at that time. So that made me sick. So then I, you know, took a week off and I made the actual recipe of the muffin and I also got sick. So, um, I have not even been able to pass the first step of the ladder, which, yeah, um, I, (laughs) 
And when you say sick, you mean like you're kind of describing, you don't have to get graphic, but like intolerance. You're not having like a, you're not having signs of anaphylaxis or allergic reactions. You're having gut stuff. Yes. Yes. Up all night with stomach aches. Um, just the weirdest. Yeah. Just stomach problems. A lot of that, like my skin started to break out, which they say can happen with dairy if you're intolerant. So that has been quite the challenge. And we, they say if you, cause at that point, I think the last time that I had tried, I had been, I hadn't had any form of dairy in 10 months. So now it's been almost 11 months, but. And prior to that, like prior to having Mila, did you have any trouble with lactose intolerance? No, not that I'm aware. I mean, I, pizza is like my favorite food in the world. Ice cream I eat all the time. Um, so so you used to. Yes, I used to. And it's crazy because if you think about like lactase, the enzyme that our bodies need to break down lactose, the milk sugar, like a lot of things in your body, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so as adults, we're not as prone to drinking, let's say like a cup of cow's milk on an empty stomach. For a lot of you guys, if you go do that, like your body doesn't make as much lactase if it doesn't need it. And so sometimes as we get older, like you took a year off basically of giving your body that milk sugar and now your, your stomach and your digestive tract doesn't make as much lactase. It's kind of... It's funny. Like, it's not funny, but your daughter now is able to tolerate the foods and because of this now you're not. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what they say that usually like for the adult, if that happens, it's the lactose intolerance versus it's not the actual protein of the cow's milk that um, I'm probably intolerant to. It's more of the lactose. So they say you can take, you know, lactate and stuff like that to try and help. Um, but right now I just, I kind of, I, I just stopped because it was so painful. So I don't know what I'm going to do if I'm ever going to eat dairy again, I hope, but yeah. So that's where I am. I am still nursing and, um, I will probably continue that with, you know, I, I would like to do it only once or twice a day right now. We're doing it about four or five times a day, um, nursing sessions, but hopefully after the age of one, she can get some other liquids too. And so in conclusion here, if there's parents out there who are listening, who suspect that their child has intolerance. And again, I just want to clarify here that the use of the dairy ladder that Meg is talking about is only for infants and children who have a mild to moderate cow's milk allergy. So this is what we call a non-IgE mediated milk allergy. It's not okay to use if your child or baby has a milk allergy that is the severe or the immediate type of reaction, the one that's called the IgE mediated milk allergy. So in Meg's case, it was it was intolerance, it was not true cow's milk allergy. She was able to reintroduce it. All the symptoms she's describing are certainly those of lactose intolerance. For other parents in the same boat, what would you recommend if they suspect either cow's milk intolerance or allergy in their baby? Um, yeah, if you suspect it, I would definitely recommend talking to your pediatrician first about what you're seeing, what is making you think that they might have that, and then they might send you to another specialist. Like I said, we saw a GI specialist because I wanted to get some other opinions also. But yeah, I would just talk to your pediatrician first and kind of go from there. And can you talk briefly about the other people on the team, like with the allergies, did you have to advocate for that or did your pediatrician recommend it? You mentioned a lactation consultant. Did you ever work with a pediatric dietitian? Who's involved in helping you kind of navigate through this period of Mila's life? Yeah, so I started off with the pediatrician um, talking to her. And then I also, I had been in contact with the lactation consultant off and on this whole, I mean, for the past year. So I felt comfortable reaching out to her. We talked through email. Um, so I kind of wanted to get both of their opinions on what was going on because I had also read that you could have some breastfeeding issues if you're seeing green stool. 
Um, after that, the, my pediatrician was the one who recommended we see a GI specialist because of the blood in, in the stool just to be safe. Um, so we went there and then the allergist, I did have to kind of advocate to see one of those when I was ready to start Mila on actual foods around six months. And I just wanted to feel more comfortable doing that. So I advocated and kind of reached out to my pediatrician to see if she could send over a referral for that. And so when the coronavirus quarantine ends and you're able to go back to see the allergist for routine testing, what's your plan moving forward? Do you want to have her tested for more food allergies for quinoa or are you kind of like, we're just going to play it by ear? Yeah, the quinoa, I would definitely like to do some type of testing for that or bring in quinoa and kind of serve it in a different form. Like I said, it was quinoa flakes, which I don't know. I, I, I'm just not super convinced that it was a full on allergy and not just a skin reaction for that one. And I do want to have her retested for the three nuts that she's allergic to because like he had told me at first, you know, this could be a positive skin test, but it could be a false positive. So I would like to have her eating those foods eventually. So I would definitely want to get her retested for those. And one thing I always remember from when I met you is that your husband has food allergies. I was like, which ones? You're like some sort of nuts. He doesn't even really know. So do you think you would get him tested or ask him if he wanted to? We've actually talked about that um, because especially with me still not eating dairy now, a lot of the like substitutions include almonds. Um, so I would love to know if he's allergic to that. Um, and Mila can't eat peanuts right now either. So she eats almond butter all the time. So it would just be nice to know if he's allergic, exactly which ones he's allergic to. So I definitely think that we would like to get him tested. Yeah, because one of the points of baby led weaning is that we can then be all eating kind of the same foods and the baby can eat modified versions of the same foods. You definitely don't want to get in a position of having to short order cook for your husband once you've figured out how to get your baby to eat. So, well, thank you so much for sharing your experience with the dairy ladder and with the different food allergies. It's been really informational and I know you've helped a lot of parents in sharing your story. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Happy to help. So I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Meg Mason, all about how to use a dairy ladder to reintroduce foods with milk for your baby and for you, mom, if you're breastfeeding. Now, Meg has um, made you guys a download that has recipes for some of the first foods that she used on the lower rungs of the dairy ladder that don't have added sugar. So if you're doing baby led weaning and you also have the clearance from your pediatrician to do a dairy ladder to start reintroducing dairy foods to your baby, you're going to want to look for foods that don't have added sugar. And some of the recipes out there have, especially in some of the mom groups, even some of the professional resources, they have too much added sugar for babies. So Meg went ahead and made you guys a free download that has recipes you can utilize. If you go to the show notes for this episode, you can find that download as well as the actual ladder she used, plus a few other resources that might help you if you're in the same spot. That show notes URL, it's blwpodcast.com slash 34. Again, blwpodcast.com slash 34, and you can get all of Meg's resources. Thanks for listening. Bye now. Bye.